This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. I'm Amy. I'm your host here. I'm the founder of Worth Recovery. I'm also a sex addict, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012. Today, for my grateful moment, I would just like to say that I am grateful for my life and everything in these past 40 years that I have experienced. This past weekend, I spent some time with some refugees, and I listened to a young man tell about his experiences of his life in Miramar, about losing his parents, living in the jungle, running for his life several times, living without water, without light, without power, traveling to the United States alone at the age of 16 to start a new life all on his own, the fear of people. He arrived here speaking no English, super hungry, and incredibly weak. His life has been very traumatic. I'm grateful for his example of resilience. I'm grateful for his example of love. I'm grateful for his willingness to share so many of his experiences. It really helped me to be grateful for my own life and to pull myself out of some entitlement or maybe some self-pity that I've been struggling with recently. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for my life, for electricity, for running water, for safety, I'm grateful for all those everyday living circumstances that I sometimes just take for granted. I might not have every single thing that I want or even all the things I think I should have at my age, but I'm incredibly grateful for what I do have and for the many, many blessings that I have in my life. Now today, today is episode 67 and it's the continuation of our deep dive into the 12 steps of recovery. Today is our conclusion of our discussion on step eight. Step eight said that we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. We started this discussion in episode 61. We titled that one, It Works When I Work It. We went a little bit backwards. Typically, I like to talk about the principles of the step and then at the end talk about how we work this step in our lives. We went a little bit backwards on this one because that was my own lived experience. We started with talking about how we work this step in our lives. And then I shared with you three principles I learned while I was working this step. Those three principles were responsible ownership, letting go, and then today we'll talk about forgiveness. So in episode 63, we talked about responsible ownership, what it means to not make excuses, not provide context or big picture reasons for my behavior, and not seek for amends in return as I work to make my own amends. In episode 65, we discussed letting go. I told you about the three major things I had to let go of while I was working this step. I also shared with you just kind of six quick ideas and things to keep in mind to help you practice letting go. I want to also share just really quickly, kind of piggyback on that last episode, episode 65. Um, I found this list of things to let go of. 
and kind of defining what letting go means. Um, I had these in my recovery archives from a I don't know, a couple years ago. I'm not exactly sure where I got them, um, but I love them. And it just sums up letting go perfectly. So it says this, to let go doesn't mean to stop caring. It means I can't do it for someone else. To let go is not to cut myself off. It is the realization that I can't control. To let go is not to enable, but allow learning from natural consequences. To let go is to admit powerlessness, which means the outcome is not in my hands. To let go is not to try and change or blame another. I can only change myself. To let go is not to fix, but to be supportive. To let go is not to judge, but to allow another to be a human being. To let go is not to be in the middle arranging outcomes, but to allow others to affect their own outcomes. To let go is not to be protective, it is to permit another to face reality. To let go is not to deny, but to accept. To let go is not to nag, scold, or argue, but to search out my own shortcomings and to correct them. To let go is not to adjust everything to my desire, but to take each day as it comes and to cherish the moment. To let go is not to criticize and regulate anyone, but to try and become what I dream I can be. To let go is not to regret the past, but to grow and live for the future. To let go is to fear less and love more. You can find these statements on the website, worthrecovery.com. I love them. I told, I hope that you do too. They really spoke to me and I thought were really appropriate for this discussion that we've been having around step eight. In this episode, episode 67, I want to conclude this discussion that we've been having with the third principle I learned while working step eight in my life. And that principle is forgiveness. As I work to write my letters and become willing to make amends to all the people on my harm's done list, I realized there was a big problem with some of these people. The problem was that I was holding on to resentment, anger, and the harms that they had done to me, or at least that I felt that they had done to me. I love this paragraph from the Sexaholics Anonymous white book, the essay white book. It's on page 125 and it says, quote, Often we perceive that the ones we have wronged are themselves guilty of real or imagined wrongs against us. Nursing these resentments, we had never forgiven them. Somewhere between making the list and making the amends, there's an unwritten requirement that we forgive. Although there seem to be times when we have to make the amends before we can forgive. And we discover we're often as powerless over resentment and an unforgiving spirit as we ever were over lust, sex, or dependency. Close quote. Many of the amends I had to complete were with people that I felt had hurt me. Many times I felt like my wrong behavior was born out of their wrong behavior, which happened first, right? As an excuse for my own behavior. Not every case was that way, but I would say that most of them. Most of them, I felt like my behavior was a result of their poor behavior. I had a hard time wanting to make these amends when I felt like they had wronged me first. I learned from this paragraph that there is an unwritten step here, that of forgiveness. We had to be willing to forgive. Now, my most favorite experience about forgiveness comes from the book, The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom. Corey lived in Holland during World War II, where she hid and protected Jews from the Nazis. 
Eventually, she and her family were caught and captured and transferred from concentration camp to concentration camp. Her father and her sister, Betsy, both died while captured. She tells of her experiences in her book, The Hiding Place, and she has many other books as well. This story has impacted me probably the most of anything that I've heard about about forgiveness. And I'd like to share this with you just straight out of her book today. It's towards the end of the book. And she recounts this story. And like I said, I'm going to read it directly from her book. It says, quote, It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I liked to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their wraps. In silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back to me in a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand, he would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fräulein. Again, his hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, 
that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars may be. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in the hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. Oh, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned in 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God every day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way. For every time I go to him, he teaches me something else. Close quote. There is so much about that story that touches me and so much that has helped me to learn to forgive. She references the house where she worked. She says, I knew forgiveness not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Beginning at the end of the war, Corey ran a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. She says that those that were able to forgive their former enemies were able to move on with their lives, were able to rebuild, no matter if they had complicated or severe physical scars. Those that nursed their bitterness, she says, remained invalids. And I love this line. It was as simple and as horrible as that. It truly is as simple and as horrible as that. I learned through working this step, step eight, that if I couldn't forgive those who had injured me, I couldn't fully return to the outside world and rebuild my life. By not forgiving those who had injured me, I remained captive. I remained held hostage in this fantasy world and in this world of bitterness. She says those who nursed that bitterness remained invalids. In many ways, nursing my resentments and bitterness caused me to isolate and withdraw and created many, many problems in my life. Forgiveness is a daily experience, a daily life experience that gives us freedom. The second thing I also just really love about this is this line where she says, 
Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. I have found this to be true about many things, but particularly about forgiveness. Many times, I don't feel forgiving. Many times, I flat out don't want to forgive. Many times, forgiveness is not what feels good or what I think will satisfy this need I have for justice. And I have learned in those moments to do it anyway, to say the words, to keep saying the words as often as needed. Every time the incident comes up, every time I see that person, every time something reminds me of that person, I say the words, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. Eventually, and it has happened to me every time, my higher power changes the temperature of my heart. And all of a sudden, one time when I say the words, I don't just say them. I feel the words. I mean the words. And forgiveness happens in my heart as well as in my mind. Another thing that I learned from this story that has really helped me is from the very end where she says, And having thus learned to forgive in the hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. Oh, I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just flowed naturally from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned in 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way. For every time I go to him, he teaches me something else. How beautiful is that? First, I love that she struggles to continue to forgive and that she's real about that. That after this amazing experience of feeling her higher power's love and of extending forgiveness, that merciful and charitable thoughts didn't just flow naturally from her. This is something that we have to continually practice and work on. Second, she says it best. I can't store up good feelings and behavior but only draw them fresh from God or from my higher power each day. If you feel forgiving one day and the next day you don't, that's okay. It happens that way. Don't worry. You don't, you have to draw those feelings fresh from your higher power every day, every single day. And when we do those two things, when we stay engaged and continually work on forgiving And when we draw those feelings fresh from our higher power every day, we learn something new every day, every day. How awesome and beautiful is that? I love these thoughts. The final thing I want to leave with you today about forgiveness comes from the beginning of the story. She talks about how she pictures God taking all of our wrongs and everything that we've done and throwing them into the deepest part of the ocean. I love the water. I love the sea. I love the ocean. And I love this idea of our wrongs and our mistakes and our missteps and our acting out, going into the very deepest part of the ocean, sinking down to the very bottom. If that is true, though, you can't hold on to them. For if you do, you will surely drown in the bottom of the ocean. You have to be willing to forgive yourself and let them go. As I worked step eight and then moved into step nine, I struggled with this. I struggled to forgive myself. I still do sometimes. 
When I come face to face with some of my acting out, I struggle to always let it go and forgive myself. And sometimes I recognize that I am in fact drowning as that mistake settles to the bottom of the ocean. I learned in working step eight that not only did I have to forgive others, I had to be willing to forgive myself, even if I didn't want to. And I found what worked was exactly the same thing that worked in forgiving other people. I practiced forgiving myself. I could say the words, I forgive myself. I would say it over and over again. I forgive myself. I forgive myself. And eventually my higher power changed the temperature of my heart. I could stand taller. I could breathe easier. And slowly but surely, I made my way back up to the top of the water, to the top of the ocean. And I left all those things down in the bottom. And when I hit the top of the water, I felt free. One of her final thoughts on this experience is this. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. I love that thought. I have experienced that intense love of my higher power as I have worked to forgive others. I have also felt it as I have been forgiven by others. This act of forgiving is an important part of our work in recovery. It is by working step eight that we learn this. We made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. When I started this step, I didn't quite know what I was in for. But as I finished my work and prepared to move on to step nine, these three principles that we have focused on, responsible ownership, letting go, and forgiving, were part of my new way of life. I'm not perfect at them, but I am progressing. Progress, not perfection, is my goal. These three principles are things that we can work on. Even if we're not on this step, I challenge you today to look around. Find one thing in your life you need to take more responsible ownership for. Next, find one thing you need to let go of. And finally, think of one person you need to forgive and start practicing forgiveness. In doing these things, we bring the steps into our everyday lives. I hope today that you remember that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel in this very moment, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. I know that. Keep up the fight. I think about you. I pray for you. And I love you all. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.